Putting up search, it's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. Hello, I'm Paul Hutchin, political editor of The Daily Record, and welcome to the latest episode of Planet Holyrood, our new Scottish politics show. Joining me this week are Hannah Roger, chief reporter of The Sunday Mail, and David Walker from the Scottish Daily Express. Now, there's still only one subject in Scottish politics that people are talking about, and that is the three-way SNP leadership contest that's turned into a bit of a bloodbath. Um, the race kind of went nuclear earlier this week during the first TV debate when Kate Forbes launched a direct attack on Hamza Youssef's record in government, and we are still feeling the fallout from that. So, um, Hannah, I'll start with you. I think that there's only sort of one issue here, really, and that is, how do you think um, Kate Forbes's attacks on Hamza will land with the SNP members, who, after all, will select the new SNP leader? Well, I mean, they're not going to land particularly well, I don't think. It's not really beneficial for anyone uh, within a political party to be slagging off their own colleagues and I think that Kate Forbes was pretty naive actually to do that and um, we saw today in FMQs that Douglas Ross completely capitalised on that uh, and just spent the entire time talking about Kate Forbes's uh, performance on the television and all the things that she said about Hamza Yusuf. so you know she's given she's given the Tories a bit of a gift there but and and that won't play well with the SNP uh members and, and voters, I guess, as well. Um, David, just coming to you, I mean, if you look at some of the polls, it seems that Kate Forbes is quite popular amongst the public, certainly more popular than Hamza. We don't know much about the SNP membership in terms of what they think. I mean, what's your take on it? Do you think that she crashed and burned in the STV debate, or do you think that there might be a sort of residual sympathy for what she did, um, which was um, a pretty remarkable intervention, to, to put it mildly. I think she might get plaudits on some of the SNP members, because at least she was completely honest, and the stuff she said was probably things that some SNP members think themselves. I mean, Hamza Yusuf's record in government has been atrocious. I think anyone can see that. Only the naive SNP members cannot see that. So I think I think she's, she, she played to the crowd. She, she's aiming for... She's, become, she's a change candidate for the SNP, and she's trying to prove that by basically torching the SNP that that basically have, some members may think have, have failed to get independence, they've failed in government. Some people may think they've just failed in total. So I think I think she's done a good job. I think she, she, she's playing to the crowd. She's quite popular to the public. And the SNP membership was only, she was only a couple of percentage points behind Hamza Yusuf. So I think it was the right tactic to do. I mean, she, she's she, her name was trended on Twitter. Any publicity is good publicity, I think, in in some terms, so I think, it, obviously, I think I think it went. She, she done what she needs to do in that debate. Hannah, I remember going back a while the, the Scottish Tory leadership contest between Ruth Davidson and Murdo Fraser, and Murdo mm. ran on effectively scrapping the party, and it was a real sort of hard uh, medicine campaign, and the members didn't like it. So, I mean, to what extent do you think members of political parties, you know, like? home truths and to what extent do you think they 
like to have their tummies tickled and sort of told what they want to hear. Well, as if they're like cats or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a kind of, it's quite tricky one because, you know, if you're a member of a political party, you are fundamentally going to think that your party is doing a better job than everyone else, I think. Otherwise, you know, you may not continue to be a member of that party for much longer. But I don't know. It, it is a tricky one. I mean, the, the thing that I keep thinking about with Kate Forbes, right, if she say she won this contest, how can she stand up <clears throat> in Holyrood and face, for example, Douglas Ross and Asarwar and defend her own government when she has just slagged them off publicly on television? Um, you know, even like as journalists, you know, it would be completely um, acceptable to say, well, you know, NHS waiting times are the longest ever or whatever else. And she's acknowledged that herself. So it's going to be really hard for her to kind of come back from that unless she does almost, as you say, like a complete reset of the SNP and kind of tries to rebrand and make it a sort of a new SNP. You used to cover Westminster, you know, <clears throat> in the House of Commons. And so yeah. if you think of the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn and also the leadership of Liz Truss, Hannah, neither politician had the support of their parliamentary group. So, you know, they had the support of the members, but they didn't have the support of their colleagues on a day-to-day -day basis. And they found that very, very difficult. So if you think of that in the context of this contest, a great many parliamentarians at Hollywood are backing Hamza, not Kate. I think she's only got a handful of MSPs backing her. Yeah. She's got how, the how hard would it be for her just to actually do the job? Well, yeah, I was thinking about that as well before uh, before we came on today. And it's not it's not just Jeremy Corbyn and, and Liz Truss. Obviously, they are kind of the most prominent examples, but I guess someone like Richard Leonard as well. I don't know if I'm I'm right to say that yeah. or wrong, but I seem to remember he didn't have much parliamentary support. It was it was mainly from the kind of grassroots and the membership of, of Labour that kind of got him to where he was. And I think, you know, um we we kind of saw the car crash. Well, we we experienced the car crash of Scottish Labour under Richard Leonard. Um, you know, constant briefings and and sort of trying to undermine the leadership. We we saw that with Jeremy Corbyn, and we're seeing the, you know, the impacts of that. It wasn't just you know the impacts on Jeremy Corbyn as a person. It was the Labour Party was I think fundamentally damaged by that whole sort of era uh, for the party, you know, in terms of its reputation. And obviously under Keir Starmer, it is now kind of starting to to make its way back up. But it, it really did kind of have quite a big impact. And then, yeah, Liz Truss, I mean, what can we say about Liz Truss? She didn't really, she didn't really have much of a chance to, to do it, <laughs> to do anything. So I don't think she's that great a comparison, but... You know, we've seen by all these examples that if you try to govern in a, a party where you don't have parliamentary support, 
it's exceedingly, exceedingly difficult. Um, and the other point I was going to make is with Kate Forbes, if she, again, if she won the leadership and she, she became First Minister, you know, the Green Party have already said, raised concerns about, you know, working with the SNP under Kate Forbes and under Ash Reagan. But, you know, where, where would that leave the SNP then when it was trying to pass anything or pass its budget? Could it still rely on support from the Greens for those things? Would they have to start negotiating with Labour or the Tories? You know, so it does create all these sort of difficulties as well. Um, David, just to pick up what Hannah said there about the Greens. Now, one of their red line issues is that uh, the Scottish Government has to challenge the UK government on the Section 35 um, in relation to gender recognition reforms. Kate Forbes has basically said that she wouldn't be pursuing a legal battle, that she'd want to sort it out in Scotland. Do you think that if Kate wins, that is effectively this partnership between the SNP and the Greens over? Yeah, I think they will completely blow up the House Agreement. I think the, the, the Greens would just refuse to serve under Kate Forbes. They've already been strong and well, they, they've claimed they're not backing anyone in the race, but it's quite obvious that Hamza is their chosen one. So I think if Kate Forbes becomes the next First Minister, it could blow up the Butte House Agreement. But I think that's quite a good thing for Scottish democracy because right now the SNP Greens coalition can push through any bill they want. The SNP and the Greens have to do deals in the background. They push through any bill they want. If the Greens leave government, the SNP will have to actually be more friendly towards like Lib Dems, Labour, be friendly towards them, offer them a few bones. It means it won't just be a purely SNP Green agenda, which is only good for the people of Scotland because right now, I mean, it is... I mean, Peg, as you put it best, the, the tail is wagging the dog. The Greens are pushing through some quite dangerous um, legislation. That the DRS scheme has only got support by, by the majority of the SNP. Every other party says, pause it. The Greens are adamant that will go through. I think it's only a good thing, I think, for Scotland if the, the Greens do follow out of government. Anna, do you agree it would be good for Scottish democracy if this partnership ended? Um... That's, I don't know. I don't know if it, I can really say if it would be good or bad for democracy. I mean, I don't think that's really my kind of, my job to say that. And I don't know what the answer is. But I think that it would shake things up. Um, you know, it, yeah, it would shake things up. It would make things a bit more interesting. But ultimately, even if they weren't in a formal agreement, I don't know. I mean, they, they weren't before and they still managed to kind of get things through just by negotiating with the Greens. So I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how much the Greens would want to work with, whether formally or informally, um, whoever wins wins the leadership contest. But, yeah, in terms of democracy, I don't know. David, just something that you said, about, you know, the tail wagging the dog. Is that really the case? I mean, like the deposit return scheme, um, that was, you know, the SFP would be pushing ahead with that regardless of whether the Greens were in government. Nicola Sturgeon was very much committed to reform of the GRA. I mean, other than that, I don't really see any sort of evidence of some massive Green influence in government. Um, I mean, is the Green influence not vastly overstated? I mean, obviously, the, the, the two things you state there is both things where it could have a massive effect on the public life enemy. So I think the influence is is there to be seen just just based on those two policies. I mean, the DRS scheme. My point is though, wouldn't the SNP have just push those regardless of whether the Greens were um, side by side with them in government? Because they, they seem to be committed to them, independent of the Greens. I think 
if it, without the greens, I think the DS game would be paused by now. I generally think it would be paused if if they had if they didn't have the back and of the greens. The GRA thing is a quite complicated topic because obviously MSG's voted it through. It's just the public who seemingly have taken dislike to it. So it's, it's, it's a tough question. But I think you can see a green influence on 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 those two policies in particular. Nah, I disagree. I'm afraid. I think that the green, the whole green thing, was. Um, you know, the green sort of formal, what do they call it, Paul? The formal cooperation agreement? Cooperation agreement, cooperation yeah. like that. You know, to me, that was basically the SNP's attempt at essentially greenwashing the Scottish government. Um, you know, I don't think that, as you say, like the, those two things, the, uh, the DRS and GRA, both of them would have been going ahead anyway with the Greens or without the Greens. They just kind of also support them. Um, and I think, again, it was it was one of those things where the Scottish government maybe want to appear like they're, you know, progressive and the first to do certain things. Uh, but actually, the influence of the Greens, I don't think is particularly, I don't think it's there, really. Um, Anna, sticking with you, you know, obviously Kate Forbes had a terrible first few days, particularly over the same-sex marriage comments. Yeah. You know, Happy nearly died in a ditch there and then. Um, the perception is that her comments in the STV debate may have backfired, but she's still standing. I mean, do you think that she can still win this? Um, yeah, actually, I do. Uh, bizarrely, I mean, I don't. I think if she won it, she, like we were saying, I, I don't. She, she wouldn't have support of the elected members of the party, so that would be very, very tricky. But you know, if you look at like the polls, there's an interesting poll. When was it out last week? And it was by uh, Savannah Comrades, maybe. And it was of SNP members specifically. And Kate Forbes was, um, she was very closely behind Hamza, I'm pretty sure. But the interesting thing about that was Hamza, I'm sure, had 31% of the vote and the people who were undecided were 32%. So that kind of tells you that, you know, there's a, there is a big proportion of the SNP membership who aren't sure yet. But also, I think the interesting thing is with this leadership contest, you know, the candidates don't even really know who the membership are. Like, they don't know the, the overall views of the membership because they, it hasn't been tested for, what, 20-odd years? Um, and the party has completely changed in that time. Uh, we've had the 2014 referendum. We got, you know, um, we saw a huge surge in SNP membership from then, and it's kind of changed since then as well. So I think they're not even sure really who it is that they're pitching to and who they're trying to appeal to. So that's what makes it very interesting. And when you, you kind of look at these polls, it kind of tells you that, that, you know, it's quite a, a, a wide kind of spread of views and it's not necessarily, you know, if we, if we see Kate Forbes, who's not getting on particularly well uh, in these media debates and things like that, it doesn't mean that everything's lost and that Hamza's a... Uh, dead cert by any means. David, how about you? Is Kate still in the hunt? 
I, I generally think Kate Falls might actually end up being the next First Minister of Scotland. Um, she's obviously breathing in Hums' neck in the polls. She's she's doing... I, I, it's, it's quite remarkable because after those first two days of interviews, I actually thought, that's it, um, Condess is done, it's Hums' to lose. Hums could have stayed quiet and we'd have, we'd have came out and talked. But she's she's, she's bound spark really well. She's, she's positioned herself as some... She's going to come to us. She's become first minister. She's going to rip up some Nicola Sturgeon's ideas. She's going to make sure um, work for businesses. Make sure Scotland becomes more ec- ec- economically friendly. Um, I think. I think she actually. Everyone seems to think Hums is on this tide. When I think Kate Forbes will win it. I think Hums's reputation as a cabinet minister will come back to bite him heavily. In the end, I think he he is seen in most quarters as. Incompetent. Kate Forbes is seen as competent, but with some obviously some sketchy views on progressive topics, which most some SB members think is a red line for them. But I, I think Kate Forbes will be the next first minister of Scotland. Okay, let's just look beyond the impact of the uh, the contest on the SNP. Let's look at a very interesting opinion poll from Redfield and Winton, which was carried out between the second and fifth of March. And it's a Scottish Westminster poll. Now, I think some context is required here. Um, from memory, if you go back to the 2019 general election, the SNP polled about 45%, and I think Labour under Corbyn polled about 18%. So I think there was roughly a 27 point gap uh, between uh, Labour and the SNP. Now, this new poll. Um, sees the gap uh, down to 10 points. So the SNP in 39 and Labour on 29. Um, Hannah, is the momentum with Labour here? Well, yes and no, right? Because if you look at that, it actually shows that the Tories, well, compared to the last time they did this poll, which was the end of last year, the Tories have actually gone up six points. Um which I don't really understand. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, sorry, what was your initial question? Yeah, so is Labour now got momentum? You know, so I mean, the gap was 27 points at the 2019. Now the yeah. gap is down to 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you're so, in Labour, you want to smile on your face? Yeah, I think so. Like, you know, under Corbyn, as we were saying earlier, um, there was a lot of damage done. You know, you did see that surge in, what was it called? Corbin mania or Cor- Corbin? Some dreadful phrase, yeah, something like that. Something like that, Cor- Corbin mania. Um, you saw that and then everyone kind of went, oh, what are these kind of views about? And, oh, wait, did, uh, I, I'm not sure if I quite like, oh, sorry, I think we've made a mistake. So everyone kind of backed off of Labour, but I think Keir Starmer offers a bit more stability for the Labour Party. You know, he might not be everyone's cup of tea. He might be seen as less sort of radical um, and and sort of, yeah, radical and sort of activist-led. He, he doesn't give off that approach. He's kind of like a, like a sort of reliable uncle, uh is how I've heard Keir Starmer <laughs> described before. Um, but, in an age of chaos, in an age of chaos, that's what folk are looking for. They're looking for sort a of... A reliable uncle. Yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than a crazy uncle like Boris Johnson. 
Well, exactly. Boris Johnson is like the crazy kind of uncle or cousin that you, you know, don't really see that often, but you, you're not bothered about that. And yeah, Keir Starmer's like this reliable, stable uncle. Um, and yeah, I think we have seen that before. It's like, you know, it's the same as with Donald Trump and Joe Biden to a certain extent. They had like the chaos in America of the Donald Trump era and, and everyone was, you know, I guess quite relieved to have kind of slightly boring but reliable Joe Biden come in and just not cause any fuss and just get on with government. And I think, you know, even though Rishi Sunak maybe has hoped that he would offer that to the Tories, I don't think we're seeing enough of an uplift because of the damage that Boris Johnson and the Partygate saga has done to the Tories. I don't think we're, we're seeing him make that same effect, whereas... Labour under Keir Starmer is a bit further on uh, in, in that process compared to Boris and, and Rishi Sunak. So, yeah, I think they are, are making headway. And then, obviously, we've got the Scottish uh, Scottish Labour complete change of, of leadership as well. So you're seeing that similar sort of effect. I wouldn't say Richard Leonard was like a crazy uncle or anything like that, but uh, just, just Richard Leonard sort of, I guess was not as inspiring to some people as an ass might be. So yeah, that's all I will say. I'll stop I'll stop rambling, but yeah. David, do you think that the tide has turned for Labour or do you think that it's I mean I, I do, think do you, think, do you think it's like midterm blues and that explains the sort of dip in the SNP support? I mean all, all the opposition parties have to do is just stand there and, and just watch the bin fire that is the SNP leadership contest and go, well I mean, we can't be any worse than these three candidates. Can we? I think Scottish Labour has done very well and positioned themselves as like, look how bad these pe- these three people are. Why are they? Why are they, Why is this three the three people the three potential first minister choices? And I think they've done well. I think the Tories they, they've done exactly the same. And I think they're, they're, they've got a good tactic because they, they can just say we'll stand up for the union, the S and P um, independence, latest independence poll, which independence are, are quite a, a not a record, but quite a low, so they can come in and say like. Look at Labour. Labour won't protect union. We'll protect union. Like Sakia Stammer will make a deal for the SNP to give them a, a referendum. So I think the Tories could surge. I think the next general election could actually be quite a close free, quite a close free horse race in Scotland between the, the Tories, Labour, and the SNP if it continues on trajectory it's going on right now. So you say the Tories could surge in Scotland. What, what would be the sort of conditions that would lead to that happening? Um, I, th- I, think and, the, I think I think I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical, but please uh, take the floor and explain. I think I was, was going to say pigs flying might be the conditions <laughs> required I mean, in I mean, that I mean, situation. I mean, politics is a is a fast moving, a fast moving world. I think if S and P continue on the trajectory, they'll be going down heavily. Labour will try to pick up some of their supporters, but if Labour go too soft on the S and P voters to try get S and P voters in, I think Tories will be like, well, Labour are trying to entice voters in, they'll give you a referendum, we won't do that, we'll protect union. I think the Tories have a chance of actually doing it. Not, I wouldn't say they'll be second or first, but they've got a chance of running it quite close for second, behind Labour and obviously the SP will probably still win the most seats. Who knows, maybe if Douglas Ross becomes really, really popular, the Tories will do extremely well. <laughs> I mean, Just a thought. I mean, I know it's a big F, but who knows? Could happen, yeah. You don't yeah. think that they're just like, you know, headed for deep third place, David? No, I reckon they'll be. I reckon they'll finish third, but I reckon it'll be closer than what people. I think 
there's a, there's like a silent which a silent there's a, a silent amount of people in Scotland who do still quite like the Tories, like in up in Douglas Ross, because obviously they are still don't mind they still don't mind the Tories down in Dumfries and Galloway. Obviously don't mind the Tories either. I think there's a chance they'll be they finish third, but I think they might be closer than what people expect them to be. Um, let's turn to Tweet of the Week. Um, I think we'll start with you, Hannah. We're looking for our uh, our expert, Henrik, to put it up on the screen. Here it is. Do you want to talk us through this? Obviously, this is a, a tweet by former record favourite Torquil Crichton, who is now going to be a Labour candidate in the Western Isles. Yeah, so our old colleague, Torquil, um, always kind of quick quick with, with his remarks and he tweeted this on uh, Tuesday night after the first SNP, televised SNP leadership debate um, and you know I just thought it was quite funny because clearly well a couple of angles actually I think the SNP we're not used to seeing the SNP publicly attacking each other and therefore their press office doesn't entirely know how to handle handle that. So, yeah, thank you, Torkel. I thought that was very funny. Um, yeah, and I was going to say, Hannah. I mean, how how much do you think the SNP press office is struggling just now? Uh, <laughs> um, I think the SNP press office is struggling. Yeah, I think they are probably struggling quite a bit because they've got, you know, Nicola Sturgeon leaving. There are various investigations going on into internal party things that they'll be getting annoying questions about all the time. And then you've got candidates kind of trying to stab each other in the back. So, yeah, it's not not an easy time to be an SNP press officer. But, uh, yeah, they chose to do that job. So... And I think they keep scoring. They keep scoring own goals as well. Like when they refused that journalist into first Huston, like I don't understand where that came from, or like why they thought oh, a good idea would just lock journalists out of first Huston. We won't even live stream it. We just like lock journalists out. Nothing will happen. I, just, I don't get where that strategy, where that strategy came from. It's, it's just thought, I just thought I put two pence in there. I just thought it was just a wild, a wild strategy to have. As yeah, a, was it was a weird strategy though? Because all the candidates said, "Wait a minute, no, we're." We're actually fine with it. So yeah, you're right. We're who made that decision and why? Because it surely they didn't. They mustn't have asked any of the candidates for their opinion before they announced that. Indeed. So David, over to you. Uh, what's your tweet of the week? So obviously the S&P leadership contest has been hilarious so far in terms of just absolutely bonkers sound bites. I was going to choose Ashrigan's independence thermometer, but I thought that's got quite a lot of press recently. And the OFO is a bonkers idea. I think this one kind of matches up with that. Basically, Kate Forbes saying that SMBs of voters who are like plumbers, farmers, electricians should basically, when when they're out in the job, just tell people they're doing a, a job for, like, yeah, by the way, what do you think about the, the Tories in England? Shite, eh? Sorry, rubbish, eh? Um, why, why don't you vote independence? It's, it's a weird thing because, like, if you have a plumber fixing a sink, would they give you mates rates discounts if you, if you sign a contract saying, like, I will vote SP in the next election where you get make straight discounts or just there's so much like options options that, that brings to us, I think. I know, I think it'd be a real pain in the neck if someone came around to fix your toilet or oven and then they start to bang on about the SNP's currency. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mate, 
do one, will you? Got all to do. Um, maybe maybe John Swinney might like to turn his hand to a bit of plumbing. You know. Well, he's more a bank manager than a plumber, isn't he? I know, but I'm saying like John Swinney coming into your house, fixing your sink, and convincing you about you know Scottish currency. I think he would be more convincing than just an average plumber. Well, he's looking for a new job, given he's in government, so maybe you could be skilled. That's what I mean. Um, Anna, good week, bad week, who are you picking? Who are you putting in the hot seat? Uh, good week. Who has had a good week? Do you know what? Well, can I, am I allowed to have two? Yeah, yeah, when you go. Right. First one is Nicola Sturgeon. She's had a great week. She's been at the Glasgow Women's Library. She's been reading books. She's just totally like... Yeah, I'm done with this, so doesn't really matter. Um, you know, and you can see that in FMQs today. She's just she's just loving it. Like she's so relaxed. She's just, you know, just she doesn't really care what Douglas Ross says. But my other person who's had a good week is also Douglas Ross. I think that actually um he's not done too badly in terms of FMQs today. He, well, no, actually, I would say he nailed FMQs today. He just totally mm. skewered, um, skewered it and made really good points. And he didn't, I think he came across, like, pretty well. Um, so that that's my good week. Oh, bad week. Um, basically, anyone who's running to be the next First Minister. Can I just say, I, I agree with him. Douglas Horse is very good at FMQs, but I am amused that he has to basically... Uh, see his attack lines twice because you get the inevitable uh, <laughs> testers. So like, uh, the First Minister gets sight of what his attack line is, then he yeah. has to go through it all over again, which is... Yeah. Uh, um, how about you, David? Good week, yes. good week, uh, bad week. Good week for me, I think, is Alistair Jack, obviously Scotland's favourite Tory, as he's coined in some, in some aspects of it. I mean, he's got a period from Boris Johnson reportedly, but the main thing that has done well from this week is the whole deposit return scheme uh, war. Basically, last week, the Scottish Greens are messing people calling for his head, saying, oh, resign, you've missed that parliament because you've said that the Scottish government haven't applied for this um, the, you, the, the internal market exemption. And then Monday, what happens? Oh, Scottish government officially apply for the internal market schemes. I mean, he stayed quite quiet for all of it. He just kept repeating the same lines. They called for his head and he's, he's came out the other side and he's still obviously survived it um, bad week for me it's kind of opposite to what Hannah said my bad week is actually Nicola Sturgeon I mean when your own cabinet member goes on live TV and basically says you've been mediocre for the last four years that's kind of a, a bad thing to say is it not obviously Hamza was defender but obviously you can't have your own cabinet minister going on live TV to torture your record in the last few years so I think a bad week for Nicola Sturgeon in my opinion Great stuff. Well, I think that wraps it up for another week. Thanks to Hannah and David for their insights. I uh, hope that you enjoyed Planet Hollywood and please join us again next week for what will no doubt be the latest instalment of SNP Melodrama. So thanks again. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. 